So whether you are here or whether you are at home, I would love everyone to do something with, and, and don't be dogmatic, but I'd love you to take your hands out just comfortably, like not just comfortable in front of you, and close them. Just comfortable, not heavy, just rest them. And now I'm going to invite you to pray. I want you to pray this with your eyes open, looking right at me, just looking at me. Just pray. Say, Holy Spirit. Speak to my heart. And if during the course of the message, if the Holy Spirit brings up something that you're to let go, then just during the message at any point, just let go. Just open your hands. Just partner with what God is doing, a visible outward demonstration. It's nobody else's business. But you're gonna, I want you to listen. I want you to listen intently, but also prophetically. Just God, I just let go. So just comfy hands. And don't be dogmatic about it. You can write something. You can change your button. You're okay. So as we travel from Rome, as we travel from Romans to Revelation this week, uh, not Revelation, but as we travel through Romans this week, you're going to finish reading it, and you're going to start reading Corinthians. And I want you to know that the letter to the church in Corinth has much to speak to Life Center today. Um, there are some things that are different in Corinth, of course, than, than in the world in which we live, but the message that Paul is going to give the church in Corinth is really applicable to Life Center. Um, so as we finish Romans and move into Corinthians, I, I want you to know that Paul's heart is the same. It's Jesus and the, and the gospel is the singular solution for every believer in every single church. What every single believer and what every church needs is more of Christ to become more like Jesus through the power of the Spirit. This is what Paul is addressing, and it's through the singularity of the gospel, which again is, is, is not about performance, it's not about behavior, though it changes our behavior, it's not primarily accessed through behavior, but through the blood of Christ. And Paul has lived in Corinth for about 18 months, and he's lived there long enough to, to discover that the church has some core issues. And just one quick note that's different with Corinth as you read it today than, than, the, than the church today is that in Corinth, they were all new believers, okay? So nobody in the church in Corinth had followed Jesus for more than three years, and nobody came from a spiritual heritage of following Jesus. They're all new believers. This is all new, all right? So you can imagine then a church composed entirely of new believers has a unique challenge in the world. And this is how he is now beginning to address some of the issues. And so where it's though like Life Center is in the church in Corinth, there are those who don't know Christ but are curious or they're searching. There are those who do know Christ and are struggling. And then there are those who are maybe believe they're in Christ but have never truly followed Christ. And so that's in there as well. And that's similar to what's in the room or what's watching online today. And so some of them are in Christ, but what is in them is not all in, about Christ. And so it's showing up. Specifically, the church in Corinth is dealing with incest. They're dealing with division. Uh, the cultural values of Corinth are more influential than the gospel. And so that's showing up in individual lives and in families and homes and just worldviews. And really, in the book of Corinth, they're dealing with wave upon wave of sexual immorality. Everything from heterosexual sexual sin to same-sex sexual sin. It's, it's fully rampant in the church. And regarding sexual sin, there was a belief in the day of Corinth that is called dualism which is simply that um, my soul has been saved, Christ has saved my soul, but I can do whatever I want with my body because my body's just my body. 
right? It's, it's, we, I've used this example, one of the best ones that I can relate to the issue of dualism is sometimes when you want to be in two places at once, you will say to someone like, you know, like, like my spirit is with you. No, it's not. Your spirit is with you, right? Like my heart is with, though I'm here, my heart is with you, right? That's what we're trying to say. But you can't, you can't be in one place and send your spirit to another place. Wherever your body goes, your spirit is with it. And if we had more time, which we don't, is we have an underdeveloped theological understanding of the body. Because the moment Christ comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise. It is this resurrected body. We have an underdeveloped idea of the body, very similar to Corinth. So it's like, I can do whatever I want with my body. It's mine. When we become followers of Jesus, our body is actually important. And so sexual sin is not just the differentiation. It's just with our body. It's like violence. And you experience PTSD. It's hard to separate what happens in the body. It sticks to the soul. And this is what's happening in the church of Corinth. So there's all sexual morality in the church because they mistakenly believe I can follow Jesus and do whatever I want with my body. And Paul is going, no, 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 no. They're not disconnected. They're, they're one. They're, they're, they're not separate. And so the root issue preventing the gospel from going deeper is pride. It always is. In pride, we no longer distinguish freedom and sin. They become one and the same thing. And we arrive here most often by using God's grace as an excuse to continue a life of sin without regard for God. Tara Lee Cobble says that freedom in Christ isn't freedom to sin, it is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to no longer be enslaved to sin. It's different. And so the church today has similar issues, but a growing one that's different today than Corinth is in Corinth, Paul could get up and preach, and there was an understanding of feelings and emotions that is different today. A growing issue in 2024 within Canada is the belief that if something makes me feel bad, it's always bad. I want you to think of it this way. Would a doctor be kind if they ignored the potential of disease found in your blood work because they did not merely wish to make you feel bad. No, they would be guilty of malpractice. They would, be, they would be violating the oath that they took. And so they are willing to risk making you feel bad in order to get you healthy. Oh, loved ones, how much more the great physician? Feeling bad is often the beginning of transformation. And in a culture that won't allow even for a moment to experience it, it's problematic, but not impossible for God. So not all bad feelings are created equal. Some of them, no good. If they're from God, they are okay. So as Paul addresses the church, as Paul addresses the church, as Paul addresses the church, not the city of Corinth, Paul has a belief that if the church becomes more like Jesus, it will transform the city of Corinth. In other words, it's not for me to change Corinth, it's for Jesus to change his church, and if Jesus changes his church, Corinth changes. And so Paul addresses where the transformation is possible. So Paul addresses the church, not the city of Corinth, and as he, you read through Corinthians, there's these vital points of differentiation that he makes. Because the church is full, like Corinth, like Life Center, the church is full of people at different seasons, different stages, different levels of letting go. 
One thing is true of all of us. We are created beings. We're creatures. Turn the person beside you and say, you're the best looking creature I've ever seen. <laughs> but we're creatures. And because we're creatures, that means we have a creator. And you and I are wired for worship. Every one of us worships. It's just the object of our worship that's different. But you're a created thing and you worship. And Paul knows this. So the first differentiation he makes though is that there are those who don't know Christ. And I want you to hear what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all. Everyone say not at all. <laughs> not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Or he says, or the greedy, or the swindlers. And then there's this singular word, word called idolaters. Everyone just whisper idolaters. All idolatry is, is worshiping created thing more than creator. So it's this blanket word all throughout the New Testament to describe created things that worship anything other than God, okay? So it's idolaters. So now he has labeled sexually immoral, greedy, and swindlers. So if you're in the church and you're like, okay, sexual immorality is not an issue, I'm not, I don't think I'm greedy, and I don't think I'm a swindler, whoo, then he throws in idolaters, it's sort of like, and all of us. <laughs> Okay, that's what he's doing here. So he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. Since then you'd need to go out of the world. What is Paul saying here to them in Corinth? Once again, stop trying to change the world. Let Jesus change you. Stop trying to change everyone else. Let Jesus change you. Stop expecting those in Corinth to live under a biblical sexual ethic when he is not their Lord. Something else is. But for you who he is, Lord, he has different words. He is saying salvation is not going to come through anything other than Christ being Lord. Not a political party in power, not a different one in power. That has ramifications, I get it. But what he is saying to the people of Corinth is don't go around acting like you're better than everybody else. Don't live in the world like, man, you all need to become like me. There is no language of that, not even from Peter or Paul the apostles. Here's the language of a mature follower of Christ. Only follow me as long as I continue to follow Jesus. Not become like me. You can imitate in a sense, but we are to be imitators of Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Dot, dot, dot. If I stop following Jesus, stop following me. This is what he's saying. We get disappointed when spiritual leaders fall, but it should not destroy us because our faith should never be in them in the first place. It needs to be in one who is greater. And that doesn't diminish the call or the, the responsibility of spiritual leadership at all. It's simply just, they are just following Jesus like me. And so this is what Paul is saying. Don't expect people to live with a financial ethic that is biblical if they are not under Christ as Lord. 
in a sense, if you read it through, if I summarize it, he's basically saying, if they ask, engage. And if they don't, love them. If they ask, engage. If they don't, love them. How many of you know it is profoundly difficult to love those who live so different than you and I? By this, the world will know that we are followers of Christ by the love that we have for God and the love that we have for others. Paul to the church in Corinth says, if you want Corinth's eyes to be on you, church, get your eyes on your own paper, not in a selfish way, but let me work, let me go deeper. As I read and as I reflect personally upon the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, it, I can only think back to Jesus, and I could think to how Jesus lived his life, and he was like a bug magnet for sinners, like that blue light, and they just like, right. <laughs> and then I think 2024, and you mentioned church in Canada, and it's like we are repellent. Church, we need more of Christ in us. I need more of Christ in me. We need more of Christ in us. It's remarkable to me that sinners wanted to be around Jesus. It wasn't, if you read the Gospels, oftentimes, more than not, he is not seeking them, hit them out. They are seeking him out. It's profound. Reminds me, though, of when I talk about the church needs more of Jesus, it reminds me of the late Timothy Keller, who I heard once say, or I read once, that he said that most people in New York City, that's where he pastored, they want Jesus as a consultant, not as a king. And I say, ouch. <laughs> now Paul goes a little further. So there are those who don't know Jesus, and your job is to love them. Your calling is to love them. And if they ask, engage, and if they don't, don't try to fix them, just love them. And now he pulls it one level deeper. So the church in Corinth, Paul makes a differentiation and says, now there are those of you who are not, you are in Christ, but you're struggling. Okay, is anybody here in Christ and struggling? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, my both are up and my feet are up too. <laughs> Okay, some of you just driving in the parking lot was a struggle today. You're like, Lord, there's room at the nine is all I'm saying. But there are those who know Christ, they are in Christ, and they're genuinely struggling to trust. They're genuinely struggling. Why? Do we close our hands or open our hands? Like, wh what are we doing right here? I will only open my hands and surrender if I trust that your intentions towards me are good. If I do not trust that your intentions towards me are good, or if your intentions towards me are consistently evil or bad or wrong or unjust, I consistently close my hands and I change. Not that something's gonna happen if we get in a fight. There'll be two punches, you hitting me and me hitting the floor. 
but I will write you a strongly worded letter that you will not forget. <laughs> Why do people worship like this? It is an act of surrender. Is there anything powerful in lifting your hands or keeping your hands in your pocket? Is worship not from the heart? Yeah, Jesus said that it was, but sometimes the heart is so moved that the hands just open rather than close. Worship is a prophetic act that I am not king. I am not in control. This is not all about me. Jesus is Lord. Even in the midst of my struggle, you are still Lord. And so I worship. As we demonstrated last week with water and food coloring, justification is God's grace in Christ that at some moment, the penalty of sin has to be broken off your life. You're either in Christ or you are in yourself. And sanctification, though, it is continually doing this. It's continually doing this. God talks to you about that and you do this. God talks to you about that and you do this. Like some of you, we are in week one of our fast. We have two more weeks to go. Some of you, your week has been glorious. For others of you, it's been a struggle. And for others of you, you quit 24 hours in because it was too hard. Failure in Christ is actually a beautiful thing. Because to those of you who failed 24 or 48 hours in, all it should have shown you is you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you recognize that and acknowledge that and live into that, there is no more power. If you do a 16-day fast or a 21-day fast, it is not about the time. It's about the posture of the heart. It's not like at the end of it, those who did 21 days perfectly are like, well, you know, I'm a better Christian than you. It may mean I have some different maturation points than you. Follow me as we all follow the Lord. We're in this thing together, church. So if you struggled and you failed, your fast didn't fail. It worked. It just showed you that you need more of God. That's its purpose. Fasting is giving up something you love for someone you love even more. It's what it is. So justification is the penalty. Sanctification is the ongoing power. And then glorification is in God's grace. One day, everyone say one day. One day with Christ, the very presence of sin will be forever broken. But we are living either that the penalty needs to be broken. For some of you, you are in yourself. You are not in Christ. And that has earthly and eternal ramifications. For others of us, we are in Christ, but we are struggling with sin. One day there will be struggle no more. Not in Christ, we are with Christ. But that is not yet this day. This day we are in Christ. Because sin never sits still. It always seeks to spread. And so sin is never a minor issue to God. It only brings death to individuals, families, churches, and societies. And in 2024, we really, really like to soften language so that it's more palatable and politically correct. Not Corinthians. And you know what? Don't get offended at it. If you get offended at it, that's okay. But let it speak to your heart in the offense. Sometimes, sometimes God will offend you to reveal what's true about your own heart and life. Unbelievers bear the penalty of their sin, but believers trust that Jesus, this is what they believe, that Jesus has entirely borne the penalty on the cross and through the resurrection that they can have that penalty paid, not just removed, fully paid in Christ. And so there is a world of difference. Everyone say a world of difference. 
Church, there's a world of difference between a genuine struggle with sin, it's just really hard, and redefining sin from our perspective, feelings, and opinions while ignoring God's word. Because where we redefine sin by ignoring God's word, it does not change God's word. It's just us that's living in the deception. And so rebellion, which is the language of Corinthians, is knowing what is true and choosing to move away from God. And repentance is the opposite of rebellion. It is knowing what is true and choosing to move toward God. In your life, you can have a ton of struggles, but your heart is still fixed towards walking in repentance. Yes? And in your heart, you can have a ton of struggles. And you can close your hands. And you can open them to an inferior small g God and begin to serve it. And the Bible calls that rebellion, which the Old Testament says it's darkness. It's like witchcraft. In other words, it's not Jesus is Lord. It's that now darkness begins to have, be Lord. I'll look up here. Some of you are like, where else am I looking? I have no idea where you're looking. <laughs> uh, see this lovely shacket that I'm wearing? Lori bought me this at the Costco. Yeah, 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 because we are of the age, right, where you get your eggs and your shirts at the same place. <laughs> Godforsaken place that it is, but we were there. And, and here's, just a little, here's just a little budgeting moment with the Bouchers. Um, whatever comes um, ho- to, from Costco into the house, it gets budgeted under groceries. Okay? No, I'm not kidding. It gets... It used to stress me out. Well, how am I going to budget that? Now I put it all under groceries. So if we hit the end of the month and there's nothing left in the grocery budget, fast. (laughs) Don't stress out. That's just how we do budgeting. That's budgeting with the bouchers, okay? So one day Lori came home with six of these for all the family, not like for herself. That's other stores that happens, but not Costco. Yeah, so she, she bought me, that, she, she's not here, don't worry, she's in Canada, she'll never hear any of this. But she bought me this, look at this lovely shacket, watch this, watch this. Because, because I have it, my kids didn't eat. look at it. Do you see that little tan strip through it? Okay, this is a terse example, but look at this lovely shacket I'm wearing. Let's just say that everything else in this shacket is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, except the tan parts. I am in Christ. I'm a new creation. Man, I got this on. But there are parts of my life that are not yet in Christ, and I'm struggling I'm struggling to do this. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, as long as your heart, as long as Jesus is Lord, as long as your heart is fixed towards repentance, struggle your way in sanctification and let God inch by inch work in the tan parts of your life. And then he brings a distinction. I think probably the... The best way I could explain this layer of differentiation 
is not in the church, but in food. Some of you are on a fast, and you're like, you're mean right now, I'm so sorry, but... There are those who eat everything and anything. There are vegetarians, and then there are vegans. And if I wanted to be a member of the vegan society, they would open their doors to me. But if every single weekly meeting at the vegan society, I came in with a Big Mac, <laughs> I think that there would be grace. Some of you are like, you don't know vegans. <laughs> but I think that there would be grace, and then there'd be a conversation. And at some point, they would say, I don't think you want to be a vegan. And if I said, no, I am a vegan that just eats meat, <laughs> what would they say? They would say, that's not a vegan. Why is it okay that vegans can do it, but we can't say what a Christian is? In fact, why is it that every other thing in this created world can define what it is except Christians? Like if it, I'm either a Sens fan or a fan of a different team, and it has definition, right? I, I, I don't pick up a baseball bat to play hockey. It's a different sport. And so what Paul says to the church in Corinth is in the church, there are those who are here who profess Christ, but they have no fruit, no desire, no want, no will, or no belief that demonstrates, that shows that Jesus is Lord at all. There are those who claim Christ or know Christ, but choose to live in active rebellion. Different from I'm struggling in sin, it's I have no intention to walk in righteousness, none at all. I have no intention. I have no intention to walk out of this door and have Jesus with me or be in Christ. I am gonna do my way all the way. And what Paul says, two things to the church in Corinth. Number one, I'll paraphrase, don't behave like a cult. It's very clear. We as Christians mistake this sometimes and we can act cultish. All cults have one thing in common. They use fear, control, and conformity to get people to believe and behave in a certain way. A church should never function like a cult. Let me say it very, very clearly. People can freely leave church. And they can walk away from Christ. And in love, Paul is saying, sometimes the best you can do is let them walk away. I want you to think about Jesus and the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes and says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, follow me. But to follow me, Jesus is Lord. And the rich young ruler has his hands tight on his riches, his youth, and his power. And Jesus in particular notes that the key to that is his stuff. And so he says, to follow me, Give me your stuff. And the rich young ruler doesn't trust that if he gives Jesus his stuff, that Jesus will not give him something better in return. And so he keeps his hand closed. 
And it says that the rich young ruler walks away sad. And here's the dot, dot, dot. Jesus lets him walk away. And this, so we read the language of Green Amora in a moment where it says, like, expel the immoral brother. I want you to picture how Jesus expels somebody. He just lets them follow their own desire, even if their desire isn't him. But what he does is he brings definition. You cannot call yourself a follower of me and not follow me. You need to walk away. When followers of Jesus choose to live in active rebellion against God, we don't withhold love, but from love with restoration as the exclusive aim. And man, we do this wrong and messy, myself included. If you keep reading Corinthians, you get to 1 Corinthians 13. It's read at weddings. And every time I read it at a wedding, I think about the couple who I am reading this to and over. And then I think about the church that is present because it says that God's love bears all things. And everyone says, everyone say, thank you, Lord. But then it says that love only and exclusively rejoices in the truth, not my deception. And love doesn't let me live in a do a deception. So it's this beautiful tension of bearing all things, but not calling rebellion good. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, sister in Christ. If he is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, same language as the outsider. Not even to eat with such one. For what have I do to judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Rich young ruler, let them walk away. So that it can get so dark that they can cry out for the light of the world to come into their soul. And he is forever as close as the mention of his name. Judging someone is never us playing God. Turn the person beside you and say, amen. It is never us playing God. He alone knows all things. Be careful not to judge. This is where we in the church can get it so wrong because somebody can be struggling and we can call it rebellion when it's just a struggle. It's takes time to flesh this out. Judging is, though, from love, holding a, whole, holding a high view of God's grace and truth and a sober view of the damage that sin brings, so not to be afraid in love, sometimes when asked and invited to call a spade a spade. Sometimes as God's family, we need to allow those who wish to live in active rebellion against God to walk away, praying that one day their heart might awaken to their need of Christ. It's very much the language of sobriety. From love, sometimes a family needs to set such boundaries that they do not rescue, that they do not enable, that one may hit rock bottom and recognize the need of change. A final differentiation that I have, one minute to conclude, that I wish I had an hour. Because there's real wisdom for Life Center and the church in Canada today. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. 17. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called them. This is my rule. This is Paul says in all the churches. And we could learn from this. What is he saying here? 
Uh, You may be single, married, separated, divorced. Let Jesus be Lord regardless of your relational status. It is different in all of those cases, but let Jesus be Lord. You may have a spiritual gift to teach, to encourage, to lead, to administrate. Let Jesus be Lord in the diversity of how the Spirit has gifted you. Uh, Your struggle may not be my struggle. You may struggle with fear and anxiety or gossip or jealousy or sexual immorality or greed or financial impropriety, whatever. So we all struggle with sin, but sometimes it's different. And what he's saying is, let God go to that area. In other words, what is permissible for the person sitting beside you may not be permissible for you because for them, it is under the lordship of Jesus. For you, it is the struggle of your soul and if you touch it, it always leads to death. This is what he's saying. You may be in your teens or you may be in your 90s that have very profound different realities live in the season and trust that God is working and walking with you. Why do I say all that? Paul says all that and he simply says to the church in Corinth, the church is designed to do one thing. It is designed to make disciples. But if the church becomes a place where every individual's need must be uniquely met, we will stop making disciples and we will create social programs. Because what we all need here, uniquely in the struggles and the seasons of our lives, is singularly to become more like Jesus. And if we get our eyes off of that, dot, 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 does it really matter what we get our eyes on? He is not saying there is not difference and there's not different needs. And there's not, he's not saying any of that. He's just saying my rule in the church is it's to make disciples. It is that Jesus is Lord. It's the gospel is everything that we need. And if we make it something else, we're already amiss. To be who Christ has made us to be, with the, we need the fullness of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, amazingly enough, uses other people to help us to become more like Christ. Which sometimes means, in love and with permission, they hold us accountable. It's not easy to follow Jesus. But there's no other way that leads to life. You need me, I need you, and we need everything Jesus purchased and provided for us. Let's take our hands now and open them and say, Holy Spirit, where you lead, I will follow. Amen.